relationship with God uh, if you don't understand that what we are and who we are is worshipers. That's what it means to be a believer. That's what it means to be a follower of God. We are worshipers. In Chronicles, we read uh, what God says to the people of Israel. He says, of my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, and you know the rest of the verse. They are called by his name. That's who they are. They are identified. Their, their identity is summed up in being worshipers of God. Does this make sense? You and I, who follow, follow Jesus Christ, we are called Christians. We are called by the name of Christ. It identifies who we are. We are Christ worshipers. Now here's the thing. If you and I are defined as worshipers of God, then it goes without saying that we better understand what worship is. Isn't that right? We've got to understand what this is all about. What does it mean to be a worshiper of God? What does it mean to worship the Lord Jesus Christ? If we go back to the Old Testament, we'll find that there's a, a fantastic book. It's got 150 chapters. It's called Psalms. Anybody ever hear of the Psalms? Some of us maybe memorize Psalm 23, maybe know Psalm 91. There's a few that are well known to many of us. But what you maybe don't understand is that over half the Psalms, uh, some would argue that all the Psalms deal with praise and worship of Almighty God. Billy Graham felt that it was so important, that the Psalms were so important, that what he did is he actually read five Psalms every day. Through the course of the month, he would go through the book of Psalms. It was part of his worship experience, knowing God, walking with God, experiencing God. If my people were called by my name, today, if you call yourself a believer, you call yourself a Christian, then you are, in fact, a God worshiper. Jesus, in John chapter 4, comes across a woman, a Samaritan woman. We don't know her name. But we know that Jesus started to talk to her, and this was very unusual because Jews never talked to Samaritans. Samaritans were uh, what you might crudely call Jewish half-breeds. One of the parents was Jewish, the other one was a, a Gentile. And so the Jews felt that they could not connect with, they could not associate with, with these Samaritans because in their mind, a Samaritan was no better than a Gentile. But here's the thing, the Samaritans, they, understanding their spiritual heritage, wanted to make sure that they were worshiping God. And so this, this Samaritan woman asks Jesus a question. Now, just before we go any further, I've got to remind everybody, she has no idea to whom she's speaking. She has no idea that she's speaking to the Son of God. She's going to have a discussion about religion and worship with God. She's going to have a debate. Now you just think about that for a moment. That'd be like me deciding I'm going to have a discussion, quantum physics with Einstein. It would, it would clearly be a joke, wouldn't it? Uh, I mean, if I was just asking, well, what's it about? That's fine. But to actually go into a debate on the subject with Jesus? Really? Be like me talking to Mozart about musical composition. Impossible. Or talking about philosophy with Rene Descartes. Impossible. 
here's this woman. She's going to get into a debate with Jesus about what worship is. And she says, you know, we Samaritans say that we should worship God on Mount Gerizim. But you Jews say you've got to worship God in Jerusalem. She says, you know, Jesus, I'm not really too interested in what you've got to say. I'll wait till the Messiah comes. And Jesus says, well, I'm here. I'm the one. You know the story. She, she uh, is exposed, not in front of anybody, just, just, just Jesus and her talking. But she's, it, it comes out that, in fact, uh, she's got a number of lovers, and uh, as she says in her own words, Jesus has told me everything about myself. And she is so moved by that that she goes back to her people and she says, you've got to come and meet this man. He's told me everything about myself. She acknowledges that he's the prophet. Let's go back to the question about what worship is. Because a lot of people think that you know, worship is has to do with what happens here on Sunday morning only. It happens for 15 or 20 minutes on Sunday, and that's the sum total of worship. And that it depends, it's, it's a certain form. You've got to raise your hands when you worship, if you're Pentecostal. And if you're Mennonite, bow your head. Guys on that side, girls on this side. We're clearly not Mennonite. Uh, maybe if you're Anglican, you bow your head or you kneel. And some people get really upset if you don't do it their way. But Jesus comes along, and he actually exposes the truth about what true worship is. Please understand something, and you've heard this many times here. Worship of our God is really all about a relationship. It's not about religious ritual. It's not about a place, contrary to what this poor Samaritan woman thought. It doesn't matter where. It's about a relationship. And here's what Jesus says to the Samaritan woman. Let's take a look at this verse. And uh, if you would read that with me, uh, Jesus says to the Samaritan, but the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit. So those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And so we recognize today that, according to Jesus, worship has to do with far more than just coming to church on Sunday and singing songs for 20 minutes. It's, some people think, man, you gotta, if you don't have a pipe organ, you really can't have church. How many know that that's not true? You know that, right? Well, there's some churches, boy, it's got to be an organ and a piano. Anything more is not of God. That's interesting. Has anybody ever heard of Spurgeon? The great preacher, uh, end of the century before last. Those, anybody over 60 will know who he is or have heard of him. Uh, he was called the Prince of Preachers, and he was sort of like the, the Christian evangelical guru. Everybody went to him for, you wanted to know anything, that's who you went to, because he was going to set you straight. Guess what? In his church, he would not allow a piano or an organ or anything. He said the true biblical way to worship God is voices only. And someone asked him, why is that? He said, well, here's the thing. We're going to let the organ worship its creator, and we're going to worship our creator. In other words, the creator of the organ is man, and so we're not, we can't have an organ in church. 
You know what? I don't want to get hung up on style. I don't want to get hung up on instruments. I don't want to get hung up on do we raise our hands? Do we not raise our hands? I don't want to get mixed up in any of that. What I want to really talk about is what really matters. I want to get to the heart of the matter of what true worship is. And Jesus says this, the Father is looking for people who will worship him in spirit and in truth. So let's talk about that for a moment. Let's talk first about worshiping God in truth. And then we'll talk about worshiping him in spirit. Most of us have a pretty good idea what we're talking about when we talk about worshiping God in spirit, but a lot of us don't know what it means to worship God in truth. The definition uh, for worship, if you go back to the Greek, it's, it combines the ideas of falling down in adoration or paying homage or serving. This is what, this is what worship is. It's all about my acknowledging who God is. We understand that God is the creator of the heavens and the earth. We understand that God created us. We understand that God created us for relationship with him. Now here's the thing. If you don't know this truth, then how are you going to worship him? This is why you hear me harp on and on and on about reading your Bible, because the, the Bible, the Scripture, is the foundation for your worship. You cannot worship God properly if you don't know who He is. This is why you need to have a personal relationship with God, whereby you pray and read your Bible. This is why last week I, made, I, I opened it up for anybody who's interested in going on retreat with me so that I could help you in your relationship with God, so I could help you and teach you how to pray and teach you how to hear the, the voice of God through his word. You and I, if we're going to truly worship God, we need to know who he is, and we need to know what he expects of us as we worship him. What are the, what's the basis of, of our worship of Almighty God? Well, I'm going to tell you, uh, tell you about um, a life-changing experience that I had. It revolutionized my Christian experience. Some of you who have been here for any length of time, you know a little bit about my spiritual journey and how at eight years old I gave my heart to Christ and how God began to do a, really move in my heart and how I, I began to hear his voice and he revealed himself to me. Um, it was between those ages of eight and 12 where I, where I had tremendous, tremendous spiritual experiences with God. I was baptized in the Holy Spirit during that time. And... Um, and, and began to study my Bible and, and allow God to speak to me through his word. I came across a verse in Romans 12.1 which says this, present your bodies as a sacrifice, alive, holy, and pleasing to God, which is your reasonable or your logical service. What the writer of Romans is saying here, he's saying that true worship is actually presenting your whole self to God and saying, God, here's my life, take it and use it for your purposes. Now here's the thing this morning. If you think that coming to church and singing songs for 20 minutes is, is you know, you've done your worship deal, you've done, you've done your duty to God, you, you really don't get worship at all. Because the worship that pleases God involves a whole being, body, mind, soul, and strength. It's all of you. God wants all of you. How many know that today? You see, you don't just come to church on Sunday. You see, I'm serving God on Sundays, and I just do whatever I want for the rest of the week. If you think that, 
I would guess that probably you're not a believer. I would guess that you're probably not a Christian. You don't, you don't get it yet. And that's not a condemnation. I'm not judging anybody. I'm trying to, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to open your eyes so that you see the truth. The truth of which Jesus says sets you free. If you're going to worship God in spirit and in truth, then you, you, what you need to know is you need to know the truth about what it means to be a follower. And it means that you've got to give your whole self, your whole being to him. So here I am, grade six. I remember, I really remember it really well, grade six. Uh, there's a, a kid in my class. His name was Lawrence. I won't mention his last name in case some of you know him. But uh, Lawrence was your, was your typical nerd or geek. I mean, geek, geek nowadays means a good thing, but back then it didn't. Way, way back in the olden days. Uh, it, it wasn't a good thing. He was, he was a kid who who's had a hairstyle different from everybody else back then. He was bushy. Anybody my age that remembers the bushy days? Uh, bushy hair, wow. And shirts were open up down to here. If you had a hairy chest, let it all hang out. Gold medallions. I did not have a hairy chest in grade six. <laughs> Didn't happen to grade seven. <laughs> no. uh, he was such a geek, this poor guy. His shirt was done up like this. Right, right like that. Now, I think this might be the style for some, and I hope there's nobody dressed like that today. I don't want to embarrass anyone. He, uh, he didn't talk, and nobody talked to him. He was kind of the wallflower. We sat in the bathroom. Nobody talked. Everybody mocked him, made fun of him. He spoke so infrequently that his lips were dried and chapped and there was always skin flaking off his lips. Really, really a sad, sad case. I'd just been filled with the Holy Spirit and I was hearing God speak to me in those years in a very powerful way. And I felt God saying to me, Alan, you need to be nice to Lawrence. You need to be his friend. My first reaction, I'm ashamed to say, was, God, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> No, that's the one. Alan, you are an extension of me. Remember what I said earlier? My people are called by my name. I understood that I was God's representative in my class to Lawrence. And so, I mean, to be honest with you, I never got really close to him because he never talked. And every time I tried to talk to him, he just would sort of smile or go, uh, uh, grunted, didn't say much. It came time for his birthday, and one day I got an invitation to come to his birthday party. And um, I said, sure, I'll, I'll go, I'll do that. I showed up at his birthday party, and I said to him, when does everybody get here? He said, you're the only one that came. You're the only one that came. For the first time in my life, I saw, in my own life, I saw the power of obedience to Jesus Christ, what that could do to a human being. Because for the first time, in almost a whole school year, I saw Lawrence smile. I didn't even know he had teeth. He smiled. And I saw all the people that were not there, but he saw the one person who was there. And I said, Jesus, 
thank you. Thank you for the privilege of being your representative to Lawrence. I knew that my presence at that birthday party was a spiritual act. I knew that I was there on God's errand. I knew that I was doing what God wanted me to do. I was there because God wanted me to be his representative to Lawrence. And I can tell you that I had, I had opportunity to share Jesus Christ with a young man who I'm sure felt God was distant and didn't care. God was able to use me to bring hope. This is what worship is, people. What happens here on Sunday morning for 20 minutes? This is the beginning of what should happen for the rest of the week for you. You're acknowledging Jesus Christ here for 20 minutes, singing about I surrender all and God you're wonderful and, and I adore you and where you lead I'll follow and on and on and on. Those are songs that we sing to encourage ourselves and to remind ourselves of what it means to be a Christ follower. But it's got to go out beyond these walls to a broken and hurting world. You see, people say, like, if God was a loving God, then where is he? And I'll tell you where he is. He's here amongst his people, and he expects his people to go and bring him to a broken and hurting world. If my people who are called by my name, you are a representative of Jesus Christ. And if you're going to worship him in truth, then you've got to do what he says. You've got to follow him. You've got to go where he would go. And I'm going to tell you this, people, listen to me. Jesus always goes to the broken and the hurting first. How many know that today? Jesus has a special place in his heart for the broken and the hurting and the wretched. In fact, when Jesus came to this earth, you know that, that when he proclaimed himself, he said, I've, I've come to heal the brokenhearted, for the poor, for the needy. I had a pastor friend who was talking to him about, about our church and our community, and, and I was telling him a little bit about what, what we deal with here. He's, he's from a, a wealthier part of Winnipeg, and, uh, and, I, and he says, you know, I don't, deal with, with, I don't deal with anything that you're dealing with. He says, and frankly, I couldn't do it. So you're telling me you couldn't be a pastor to poor people, broken and hurting? I don't think I could do that. And I said, interesting. Because this, folks, is what the people Jesus came to. Now listen, if you're going to be a true worshiper of Almighty God, then you're going to have to get serious about saying, Lord, hear my, use me. Take me and use me for your purposes. Now here's the question this morning. Why is it then, if this is what it means to be a Christ follower, why is it that we don't do that? Well, it's a very simple explanation. Look at the scripture verse in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 5. Paul says this to the believers in Ephesus. Now, these Christians were having a struggle following Christ. And nothing's changed over 2,000 years. There's still, there's still this battle, there's still this struggle going on to follow Jesus. And here's what Paul says to the, to the believers in Ephesus. He could be saying it to us today. It's, it's just so timeless. Read that with me. You, cannot, you can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. 
For a greedy person is an idolater worshipping the things of this world. Paul is saying this, you cannot worship God and do whatever you want. This is the truth that you need to know. Remember, the Father is looking for people who worship him in spirit and truth. The truth is, you cannot worship God on your own terms. You can't do whatever you want. You cannot live an immoral life and call yourself a Christ follower. You cannot be impure and call, call yourself a Christ follower. You cannot be greedy and call yourself a Christ follower. Does this make sense this morning? This is, this is, this is Christianity 101. And I would say this to you, the problem with Christianity in North America today is that we don't get this. We think we can live any way we want, we can talk any way we want, we can watch anything on TV that we want, we, we can smoke pot if we want, we can get drunk if we want. Listen to me, the Bible is very, very clear about how you and I are called to live as worshipers of God. Remember, you are called by His name. People look to you. When you call yourself a Christian, they watch everything you say and everything you do. And you say, well, that's not fair. You're judging me. No, you're not. No, they're not. You've made a claim to be a Christ follower. Now, guess what? You have a responsibility to worship God, not just here on, in church on Sunday. And I'm glad you're here, by the way, to, to worship God. But it's the rest of the week. What would, your pe- what would the people you work with say about you? Would they say that, oh, yeah, he's a believer. Oh, yeah, she's... She follows, follows Christ. Or would they say, what a hypocrite. You know the word hypocrite, where it comes from? Actor. What an actor. That's what the word hypocrite means, actor. So here's the thing. All across this country and this continent, every Sunday at 11 o'clock, we have a great gathering of hypocrites. People who claim to have the name of God, who claim to worship God, and yet their lives nowhere near match the life that Jesus has called us to live. Now you say, Ben, this is hard teaching, Pastor. This is tough. You're being hard on us this morning. Look, I'm not trying to be hard. I'm trying to tell you the truth. Because the Father's looking for people who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Jesus, before he ever started the ministry, the Bible tells us, went into the wilderness to be tested. And here's, here's what happened. Before he started his preaching ministry, he went to the wilderness and was tempted. And we read in Matthew chapter 4, verse 9, Satan comes along to Jesus and says to Jesus, I'm going I'm to give you the whole world, all the kingdoms of the world. You'll become, Jesus, you'll become the world r- ruler. All the kings of the earth will bow to you if, you will worship me. I would tell you, nothing has changed over 2,000 years. Satan still makes those promises. If we will be immoral and follow our immoral impulses, our impure impulses, our greedy impulses, then Satan promises us that we will be happy, that we will have all that we need, that we will find true joy. This is what Paul's talking about here in Ephesians. He's talking about worshiping the things of this world. Listen, if you're still worshiping the things of this world, then you don't really know what it means to be a believer, a Christ follower. But so many of us are so ignorant of the truth, we're so ignorant of the word, we don't really know what it means. Hopefully today you'll go from here understanding what it means to be a true Christ follower. You don't worship God on your own terms. 
Anything less than worshiping God on his terms is worshiping the things of this world. So what you need to do next time you go on the computer, you need to remember that when you are surfing the net, you're surfing the net as a worshiper of God. Next time you have a conversation with your friends, you're, you're having a conversation as a worshiper of God. Next movie you go to, you're going to watch that movie as a worshiper of God. My people are called by my name. The activities that you engage in, it's as a worshiper of God. I wasn't going to say that, but I'm going to say it, actually. Has anybody heard of 420? Oh, yeah. You said a little too enthusiastically. 420 is that time of the year when everybody who smokes pot smokes pot together. 420 at 420. You know what? Here's what I discovered. They say that smoking pot is not addictive. It's not addicting. Here's what I've discovered. Although it may not be addicting, there's something that's far worse that takes place. It grabs a hold of people's hearts. I've never seen anything like it. You try to talk to somebody who's a smoke pocker, a, smoke, uh, a pot smoker, a smoke pocker, who smokes weed. You talk to somebody who smokes weed, you tell them to stop, and then they give you a hundred reasons why you shouldn't. They'll tell you, you know what, when I, you know, I, I just have a joint and I just feel so, my mind opens up and I just hear the voice of God. Don't laugh, it's true, they say that. They honestly say that. They say, you know, I find I get a clarity. I just feel so happy. The happy you feel is not from God. It's from weed. Hello? That's why they call it a drug. They say, when I smoke weed, I can just share Jesus with people. Has anybody ever been witnessed to by an alcoholic or a pot smoker? You know what I'm talking about. And they just get so eloquent. Oh, oh, bro, you're my, oh, my bro, you just love you. You're just so awesome. Oh, oh, I just, we could just be friends forever and ever. Give me a hug, bro. Look at, I've been at this for a long time, folks. I've seen it all. And I'm going to tell you, you cannot worship God on your own terms. You have to do it his way. Now, by, don't anybody go from here and say, Pastor Ellen, condemn me and judge me today. No, look, at, I'm not doing that. I'm telling you the truth, the truth that sets you free. So Jesus says this to Satan trying to tempt him with the whole world. Worship me. Nothing's changed. It started in the Garden of Eden. What what does Satan say to Adam and Eve? You take the fruit. Now everything's going to be cool. Do it your way. Don't do it God's way. Do it your way. And Adam and Eve, of course, they decide to do it Satan's way. Can I just tell everybody something? When you do it Satan's way, you're worshiping him. Did you know that? You're worshiping the things of this world. You're worshiping the enemy of your soul, when you do it your way. When you do it God's way, that's when you're truly worshiping him. And here's what Jesus says to Satan when Satan says, come and bow down to me and I'll give you the kingdoms of the world. He says this. I love this. 
I want everybody to learn this phrase because I want you to use it all the time. Here's what, here's, what, here's what Jesus says. Get out of here, Satan. Or maybe to use uh, colloquialism of 2012, go to hell, Satan. Can I say that? How many know that that's a place reserved for him? Get out of here, Satan. Could you say that with me? Get out of here, Satan. The next time you're tempted to go your way or go the way of the world, you're going to say, get out of here, Satan. And Jesus says this, because the Scripture says, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only Him. The Scripture says, Remember, the Word of God is the final word. This is the truth that sets us free. This is the guidebook. This tells us how to live this world. And if you're going to be a people called by His name, you've got to do it His way. The Scripture says, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only Him. So if you want to be a worshiper, you're going to have to do it God's way. Because the Father's looking for those who worship Him in spirit and in truth. In spirit. What does that mean to worship God in spirit? I can remember my very first worship experience. Again, between those ages of 8 and 12. It was at camp. It was uh, Bill, uh, not Bill, it was um, Bruce Brand sitting at the piano in the old chapel at Calvary Temple Youth Camp, Red Rock Youth Camp, and I don't know what he was playing, but just playing this beautiful worship song. And those, those were the days, those olden days, when we didn't have an overhead projector. And uh, we actually had to learn the words of songs off by heart. Anybody remember those days? Yeah, a few of us remember that. He said, we're going to have a time of worship. And I'm a newbie. I didn't know anything about this because it wasn't anything I was used to. And next thing you know, people are beginning to close their eyes and they're starting to raise their hands and they're singing with all their worth. I can tell you I have never in my life ever heard anything so beautiful, so moving as that experience at camp. And I saw some people had tears streaming down their cheeks, and others weren't, weren't saying anything. They were just, just enjoying the presence of God. I experienced for the first time in my life what worship was. And I thought, I've got to try this. And so I closed my eyes, and I began to sing the song that everybody else was singing. We sung it a few times, and I picked up the words and began to sing. And next thing I know, I was lifting my hands to God, and I was alone with God. I was in the presence of the almighty creator of the heavens and the earth. It was such a glorious experience. I didn't want it to end. I could have gone on singing in the presence of God for hours and hours and into the night. In fact, it was so thrilling for me. If I had it my way, the rest of the week of camp would have been in the chapel worshiping God because it was such a glorious glorious experience in the presence of Almighty God. I didn't want it to end. Now here's the thing, people. If you're not experiencing God like that, then you're not doing something right. You're getting it all wrong. Because there's nothing that the Father wants more than for His children to bask 
in his presence and enjoy his presence forever. Folks, listen to me. This is what the great Westminster Confession says, that the chief end of man is to enjoy God forever. This is what God wants for you. He wants you to be in his presence and to enjoy him. So how do we worship him in spirit and in truth? Well, we, we know this from the, um, from the command of Jesus. Jesus says what? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. If you're going to love God, folks, you've got to live, love him with your whole being, which means you've got to worship him with your whole being, with your mind. You know, I read my Bible, I still, every day I read my Bible. And every time I read that Bible, God speaks to me somehow. Some truth jumps up and grabs me by the throat, and I find myself saying, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for what you've got to say to me today. If when you read your Bible, God's not speaking to you, then you're not doing it right. One more reason why you need to come on retreat with me so I can show you how. How to let God speak to you. There's sometimes I read my Bible and God speaks to me and I just find myself just getting emotional in his presence because I'm recognizing Almighty God speaking to Alan Duncalf. God, the God of the universe, how many billions of people on this earth and God is speaking to me. That's what God wants for you, not just for pastors. Is God speaking to you like that? He engages your mind your will. Sometimes you feel like, man, I don't feel like worshiping God. I don't feel like praying. I don't feel like lifting my hands. Can I just remind you that worshiping God has never depended on how you feel or what you want or don't want. It has nothing to do with that. It's an act of volition. It's something that you make a choice to do. You decide and choose to worship God because God tells us to. So when you come to the house of prayer, you want to get your tail in here as quickly as possible because, listen to me, the worship that takes place here on Sunday morning, it's not just killing 15 minutes before the sermon. It's part of your worship experience. You need to get in here, close your eyes, shut yourself in with God and allow the Spirit of God to touch you. With your mind, with your soul, with your strength, it's a physical activity. Look what it says here in 1 Timothy 2.8. In every place of worship, I want men to pray with holy hands lifted up to God, free from anger and controversy. This is why we invite you to lift your hands in, in worship. Because God wants all of you. He wants you completely to enter into the experience of worshiping Almighty God. That's why we do what we do here. The Father is looking for those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Will that be you today? I'd like to invite you to stand right now. The psalmist David says this, Psalm 5-7. I love this. Let's, let's just listen to this. David says this to God. He says, uh, he's speaking to God. It's a very intimate, spiritual, holy, intimate moment with him and God. And this is what he says. 
He says, because of your unfailing love, I can enter your house. I can enter your presence. Not because of anything you have done. Not because you deserve it, but because of what God has done. It's because of God's unfailing love that we're able to enter into his presence. And then he says this, I will worship. I will worship in your presence with the deepest awe. I will worship you, God, with all my heart. It's a decision he makes. It's a choice he makes. There's no footnotes at the bottom of the Bible that says that this only depends on whether you feel like it or not. It doesn't say that. It's a choice. I will worship God because I am called by his name. I am a worshiper of Almighty God. That's who I am. Would you say with me this morning, I am a worshiper of Almighty God. Say it again. I am a worshiper of Almighty God. One more time. I am a worshiper of Almighty God. Would you bow your heads right now and let the Spirit of God speak to your heart? If you have drifted far from Him, if you're not where you need to be, if you're not living a life that reflects God, if you've not been worshiping Him in spirit and in truth, then you need to confess that to Him right now and ask Him to forgive you and to give you the grace and the strength to be a true worshiper because that is what the Father's looking for. I don't know about you, but I... I want, when God looks at Alan Denkab, I want God to say, I found what I've been looking for. I found what I've been looking for. I found my son. I found my Alan. Ask God to do a fresh work in your heart right now. God, that name by that name that we are saved. It's by that name that we have eternal life. It's by that name that we have hope and joy. And we've been called by that name. That name that is above all names. As we go from here, Father, today, may we go as as true worshipers who worship in spirit and in truth. God, this week may it be an extension of what we've had here this morning. You're glorified and honored. People are caused to acknowledge God because of us, because of our lives and the way we live. God, we commit ourselves to you right now. Thank you, God, that you're a God of mercy and compassion and you forgive our sins. Help us now, Lord, to get back on track and be the men, the women that you've called us to be, your children. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Everyone said it with me. Would you tell a person beside you, I am a worshiper of God.